You're listening to Taxpayers Australia's News and Insights podcast, Tax Wrap. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Tax Wrap podcast. I'm Steve Burnham, joined by David Ebden, as usual. Hello, David. Hi, Steve. And we also have a, a special guest, Dr. Mark Pizzicala from BDO. Hi. Thanks for being here, Mark. And uh, now you're also on the, uh, the Board of Taxation, so it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. Now, you've uh, come in to talk about the small business CGT concessions, which is uh, a recurring topic that, uh, that um, some business, small business owners struggle with and uh, need, need guidance on. To start off with, can you describe what the small business CGT concessions are? Sure, Steve. Well, the s- small business owners may be eligible to um, obtain small business concessions uh, in relation to transactions that involve capital gains tax or CGT. Um, essentially, it's when you're selling your business, and if you are selling your business and you can access the small business concessions, you may be able to reduce or defer or even eliminate uh, CGT from the transaction, which is a great result. And if you think about why these provisions were introduced originally, they were there to help taxpayers um, who ran small businesses. It was acknowledged that they were taking risks, that you know, they, they may have had a mortgage over their home. Oh, yeah. Uh, have liabilities in relation to the business, they've got employees. So in a way, this is a reward for those small business put, owners put it, put in terms of taking there. the risk. Mm. At the time when they make the sale of their business, it's it's one way of, um, you know, taking into account the, the struggles that they've gone through. Yeah, you know, that sounds fair enough. Now, you, you, you say concessions, plural. How many are there? Yeah, so there's a number of concessions contained within the small business CGT concessions. In, in, not in, in order, but these are the 15-year exemption. This is where a, a taxpayer might have held the business for at least uh, 15 years or the asset. Yep. There's a retirement exemption, which is put towards the capital proceeds are put towards retirement savings. There's a 50% active asset reduction, which discounts the capital gain made by 50%. All right. As well as a CGT rollover. This is a situation where you might have made a CGT gain, for example, on the sale of your business, but the government does allow you a period of time of around two years in which to find a replacement asset. Um, and so, therefore, you can defer that gain to that replacement asset upon the acquisition of the new asset. The 50% active asset reduction, that's not the same as if I, if I hold an asset for 12 months, it's, say, as an investor, there's a CGT uh, Discount, but that's, that's right. This is a, a, so there's a fifty percent. There's a fifty percent CGT discount. That's absolutely correct. Right. So this would be in addition. In addition. To oh, that's that. great. Correct. And is it difficult to apply for the concessions? I mean, how how hard is it? The answer is yes and no. Like most tax questions, um, if you you know, there are common mistakes which are made uh, in applying the concessions. And I guess look, the the reason of this podcast as well is that uh, we're going to go through a, a number of those. Um, the concessions are complex to apply in terms of the technicality of how you read through the concessions Um, and in fact a number of practitioners have complained to me in terms of these concessions not so much in terms of what they try to achieve I think everyone's in agreement that they're happy with the concessions but more so in terms of sifting through the legislation and trying to get uh, uh, an outcome for their taxpayers. Okay so you you mentioned uh, about mistakes Um, what's one of the common mistakes that the people make sure david well, there's a, there's, a, there's a number but i guess um, i guess one of one to mention and, and as i say there's a number of common mistakes that people make but one of the ways to access the provisions is is if you come within the maximum net asset value test um, this is where a business if a business is not um, more than six million dollars in value at the time the cgt event occurs then you're eligible for the concession however uh, one of the issues which arises is 
I guess, taxpayers having a look at this $6 million test and trying to manipulate uh, an outcome, um, which may not necessarily be there. And so upon ATO audit, it's not unusual that if, if you're applying for the concession under the $6 million test, it's not unusual for the tax office to want to scrutinise that and to make sure that you are validly, your business is, valid, is validly worth less than $6 million. Okay, that makes sense. Um, are there any other mistakes that are commonly seen by the um, ATO? Well, a few years ago, the ATO revealed the prevailing area was uh, a failure for taxpayers to identify liabilities that related to an asset. So when you're looking at your $6 million test, um, you are allowed to uh, offset liabilities which are related to assets. And, and there has been some confusion around what those liabilities are, whether they need to be directly or indirectly related to assets. So that would be one area that, that would be a focus. What about the practicalities? What are the practical mistakes that some taxpayers trip over? Yeah, well, uh, unusual as this may sound, the ATO has found that business owners have incorrectly used settlement date instead of the contract date um, oh, right. when recording details for a CGT event. So I can understand uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, for the common person, yeah, yeah, of course, you would think that the sale date is, is, in, is in fact uh, the settlement date, but... but as most of us know, um, for CGT purposes, if you're selling a CGT asset, it's the contract date, which is the date that uh, the CGT event happens. Now, that may not be an issue if the transaction takes place during the year where acquisition date and settlement date happen in the same tax year. Mm. But of course, if you sign a contract in June and it doesn't settle until three months later, uh. you still need to take that transaction into account in the June year end. Yep, yep. Okay, and um, you, you've mentioned uh, a few times um, active assets. Could you maybe clarify for our listeners um, how you determine if an asset is indeed active? Sure. Well, you can determine if a, a CGT is active if you own it. Uh, and secondly, you use it or hold it ready for use in the course of carrying on your business. Or if it's an intangible asset, for example, goodwill, then it's inherently connected with the business that you carry on. It is also active if you own it and it's used or held ready for use in your business. Um, and, and it's um, owned by any of the following. You're an affiliate of yours, a spouse of yours, or an entity connected with you. So this is quite a, what we mean by this is that the business may be running one entity, but of course there may be a property in another entity which um, services that business or where, where the business is operated from. And so mm. even though they're, they're in two separate entities, they would both qualify for the provisions. Well, it sounds like you could trip over a couple of things there. I mean, in your experience, what mistakes do taxpayers make when they try to determine if an, if an asset is uh, active or not? Okay, well, well, I guess uh, the issue there is that you, uh, some taxpayers just assume that, that assets that they have are active as they're being used in the business, but there are rules around this, and to satisfy the active asset test, if the asset's been owned for less than 15 years, then it needs to have been an active asset for at least half of the ownership period. Once an asset has been active for, say, seven and a half years, it will always satisfy the active asset test after that, no matter how long the asset has been owned. Yeah. So from that point of view... If it ceases to be an active asset for any reason after that date, this won't prevent it necessarily from satisfying the, the active asset test. And I guess for the listeners out there, I realise that we're covering matters uh, of, you know, which are definitional in nature. And, oh, yeah. and this is one of the issues that uh, some of these things are rolling off the tip of my tongue, but it's not that easy if you've not practised in the if area. You, well, you don't do it every day. So Correct. If, if a practitioner doesn't do it every day. Exactly but yeah. right. Exactly right. Do you have any tips then to that extent? for taxpayers who are making these mistakes? Sure. Well, well, I guess, uh, as we spoke about earlier, remember that the CGT event occurs at the time the contract's entered into. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and for the disposal of assets, the time of the CGT event, um, as I say, is usually when the contract is signed.
Yeah, yeah. Um, what are, are there any practical considerations that people should think about? So for practical purposes, where a contract and settlement, as I said before, dates cross over different years, mm. um, you need to make sure that you declare the capital gain in the income year in which the capital gain arises, which is the, the contract date. Yep. That's also the date that you need to analyse the small business CGT concessions. Is It's at that date that you need to look at the small business concessions and apply them to your transaction. Sure. So um, are there certain types of assets which are excluded from being classed as an active asset? No, good question. And yes, certain assets are specifically excluded from the active asset test. And, and the typical one would be where um, assets that are a main use by a taxpayer to derive rent, um, unless the main use for deriving rent was only temporary in nature. All right. So, sorry to, to if we just clarify that a little bit for my mind, does that mean that all income derived from allowing a third party to use property, like to get rent, is or that is considered rent for the purposes of the um, exclusion? No, so this is where it gets can be convoluted. The short answer is no. Um, the ATO has at various times ruled that income derived from commercial storage facility or a boarding house or holiday apartments, caravan parks, were not rent. So there are, you know, there are. this is an area that obviously one needs to look at when, when deciding whether or not uh, you fall within the provision. Right. Uh, any final words of advice, Mark? Look, I think the best advice, uh, especially if you're setting up a business, is that when you're setting up a structure, consider what happens when you sell the business. So if you do set up a business and if you are successful um, in that business and at some stage years down the track you want to sell, you want to maximise uh, the tax effectiveness of that sale process. Um, so you need to make sure you're in a structure that can take advantage of the small business CGT concessions. Oh, yeah. and. So it's kind of like planning for the exit at the time you're starting your business, which is a which is difficult to do. Yeah, you don't know what's going to happen, but still, you don't if know you what's going to happen. But it's an important consideration. Yeah. If you do get it wrong, uh, you might refer back to one of the previous podcasts we've done in terms of the small business restructure rollover provisions. Oh, yeah, yes. So again, those provisions you might be able to utilise to get out of a structure you shouldn't have been in in the first place. Yeah. Okay. So just to clarify the different structures different have um, different benefits. Exactly right. So, you know, a company might find that it can reduce a capital gain via a 50% um, active asset reduction, but unless it's got franking credits, it won't be able to pass on that benefit to, to its shareholders. Um, that's an example of, yeah, where, where ideally, you know, a, a trust will give you a, di a different and sometimes better outcome. Okay, very enlightening. It's um, a, a compl complex, but... Um uh, topic, but um, there are answers out there, as we've just been shown by Dr. Mark Pitzcala. Thanks very much for coming in. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, David. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you. Could, could we lean on you and ask if you could come back uh, next week? Perhaps Absolutely. have another chat with us. That'd be fantastic. Terrific. Um, all right, David. Thanks for you. Thank to you, Steve. I should say. And thank you, listeners. Please tune in next week. We'll have uh, Mark back with us again.